Well, good morning. Ooh, was that loud? That was loud. It was loud for Zoe, at least, because she jumped. I feel, you know, it's okay. We're going to get right into this, because I'm not going to lie to you today. Today's a bit of a long one. I'll try to keep it entertaining, but uh, there's some necessary background that I need to give you, and um, I know that we kind of talked about it last week, Phil, let the cat out of the bag, but we're talking about depression today, specifically about the story of Elijah, and as you might uh, understand from our series, Elijah was a loser, right? Not something that I would consider a loser, but I can guarantee you that he certainly considered himself that way. And so we're going to take a look at that. Now, what you need to know about Elijah is Elijah was a servant of God, and he was a really strong servant of God. We are first introduced to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, where he boldly confronts a king named Ahab uh, with less than desirable news. In 17 verse 1, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe, I'm going to call it Tishbe. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but it sounds good. Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Right? And so it's basically he promised like a three-year drought. That's basically what he said. We're not going to have rain for a really long time except by my word. And newsflash, I'm not going to call for rain. So this is kind of the punishment that Israel deserves. A little background knowledge. Elijah, and we'll get into this, but Elijah is literally the last prophet of God left. All the other ones at this point in Israel's history have been killed or are being chased after or being hunted. And, and so he's really the last active prophet specifically at this time in Israel. And so uh, he doesn't have a lot of fans. Ahab himself, not a huge fan. And after making this instruction, he's given a, a strange uh, direction by God. He's, God tells him, go live in the wilderness. By this brook, this specific brook, right? A little stream of water. You can drink from it. And I'm going to send ravens to bring you food. I'm going to send ravens to bring you food. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not counting on ravens to bring me dinner. You know? It's just not happening, right? Uh, especially not these days with McDonald's and all the other options. But I realize his options may have been limited, but God promises him, if you go, if you follow, if you listen to what I say, we are going to send some ravens with some food to you. You will be fed. You can drink from this stream. And so that's what he does. No questions asked. Elijah gets up and he goes and he lives at this brook until it dries up from the drought, which God had him foretell. Now, after the brook dries up, he's then told to go to Zarephath to find a widow who God had commanded to feed him, right? That's the instruction. Go to this place. There you'll find a widow. I have commanded her to feed you. Now, we're in the middle of a drought. Crops aren't really growing. There's no excess. People are running out of food. People are dying of starvation. He's been living by this brook, getting his water, being fed by these birds. The water's all gone. He's thirsty. It's a day's trip. He goes and he finds this widow. He finds this, this woman. And he asks her for a drink and some food. <clears throat> and he's given his drink, but he's told that she has no food. Now, what she does tell him is, I don't have anything prepared, but the last of what I have, I'm going to prepare right now. Okay, and this is what she says specifically. This is 1 Kings chapter 17, the second half of verse 12. It says, and now I'm gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's her plan. We're all out of everything. 
This is the last of what we have. I'm going to make us a couple cakes of bread. We're going to eat it. And then we're just going to wait for the end of our lives. And Elijah boldly encourages her to make the food. He says, that's great, but first make me some, right? (laughs) True dude. He's like, yeah, that's terrible. Could you make me one first, right? Make me some food. But he promises her, you won't run out. You won't run out. And you're told if you read the story, and I would encourage you to read these three chapters, 17, 18, and 19. As you, you read through the story, she doesn't run out. They make food. They eat for days and days and days. And, and miraculously, her storage of food doesn't disappear. It doesn't disappear. And she and her son have hope for the first time in a long time. And they are going to live. At least that's what she thinks. But her son falls ill. And her son dies. And in her grief, she accuses Elijah of coming just to bring about the death of her son. How could you do this? And in verses 21 through 24 of chapter 17, we're told that Elijah grabs the son, goes to the lower room where the son is, and then he stretched himself upon the child three times. I'm assuming kind of over the child, right? Praying over the child. And he cries to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he was revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber. I said lower. He went up, not down. Upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. I understand, Riker. It is a sad story, my man. As the story continues, as Elijah's story progresses and we get into 1 Kings chapter 18, we see Elijah confront Ahab and Jezebel, two rulers of that day. Jezebel I will affectionately call the prophet killer because you're told that she's responsible for killing all of God's other prophets. And he presents them with a challenge. There's 450 prophets of Baal. There's 400 prophets of Asherah. And all of the Israelites, he says, come. Bring those 450 prophets from Baal. Bring these 400 prophets from Asherah. All of the Israelites come and be present. It'll be 450 verses 400 verses 1. And we're going to have a little competition. Let's settle this once and for all. Because Israel, you have not been following the one true God. And we are going to figure out on this mountainside this day who that is. And so he says, hey, it's me versus these 850 folks. Now, what happens as you progress in the chapter is that the 450 prophets of Baal are present and the 400 prophets of Asherah really aren't mentioned again. I guess they were just terrible. Like they really couldn't get anything done because we don't hear a lot about them. But what he says is, here's the deal. You 450 prophets of Baal, you take a bull, you cut it up. I'll take a bull. We'll prepare an altar. Don't set any fire to it. We'll call out to our living gods and we'll see which sacrifice is accepted. We'll see what takes place. And 
Chapter 18, verse 21, it says, Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So they set up these, these altars to their God. And the prophets of Baal, they come out and they cry out and they ask for Baal to accept their offering and they pray to their God and nothing happens. You're not shocked, I'm not shocked, but they were shocked. Nothing happens. And if we're being honest, Elijah gets a little frisky and he starts to mock the prophets of Baal. In verse 27, it says that at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is God. Either he is musing, here's my favorite part, or he's relieving himself <laughs> or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. But nothing happens. Nothing happens. Now, it's Elijah's turn. Elijah prepares his altar. Here's what he does. He takes it a step further. He calls some Israelites out. He says, go get some water. Dump it on the altar. What's the opposite of fire? Water, right? You're not going to catch something wet on fire. They do it. They do it once. And he says, go again. Get more water. So they come and dump it on there again. And then Elijah calls out to God, and we're told in verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And then after this takes place, the Lord sends rain. He sends rain. Israelites, realize that I am the one true God. I give and I take away. You have tested me. It has been proven that I am true, that I am the one true God, and he sends the rain. Now, it's a whole lot of background to get to where I wanted to get to. But here's why we had to go over that. Because you can have immense faith, which leads you into the wilderness, and you can be willing to go wherever God calls you. You can give others hope, in the face of certain destruction and perform miracles in God's name. You can defend the faith against all outside forces that seek to destroy it and yet still be touched by depression. I want you to think about that for a minute. You can live the life that God has called you to live you can go where God calls you to go. You can do what God calls you to do. You can be the last person on the planet that is still fighting for God's truth and still be touched by depression. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Jezebel, after being told about the destruction of the prophets of Baal by Ahab, threatens to take Elijah's life. She sends a messenger, and this is the message she has for him in verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. See, because here's what takes place. If I didn't finish that story out real well. After God sends rain, after the offering is accepted, Elijah orders the Israelites to gather up the prophets of Baal, and just like they had done to the prophets of God, he executes them. 
so that their perversion can no longer permeate their society. It can no longer lead people astray. And Jezebel, upon hearing this, sends out this threat, you will die just like they died. May God kill me if I don't kill you by this time tomorrow. We are then told about Elijah in chapter 19, verses 3 through 7. Then he was afraid, and he rose, and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, also referred to many times as a juniper. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down, and he slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him, An angel was sent to him because he's just laying under this tree awaiting death. And an angel is sent to him and he is told, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then he laid right back down. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And what we see in this passage is depression. This is a Bible Time Zoloft commercial. And I bring that up because in my battles of depression, I've never seen any illustration, honestly, that shows it better than the Zoloft commercial. You remember the old doughy ball that kind of just slimed his way around everywhere and tears are falling from his eyes and everywhere he goes it's raining on him that's what depression feels like like you're just a pile of sludge who's constantly being rained on and there's really nothing that you yourself can do about it and your body kind of just shuts down And so you look for the nearest tree to just lay down under and be left alone. And sometimes it gets so bad that maybe, just maybe, God will give you a break by letting you die. This is depression. Here's what I want you to understand about depression. And I am not a clinical psychologist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a counselor. I'm a pastor and a person who has been diagnosed with clinical depression and anxiety and who has struggled with it for much of his adult life. But I have found that there are four factors that are almost always present in depression. I've also found that at least three of these are based in feeling and not fact. The things that we feel about ourselves that aren't factually true about ourselves. Now the first factor in depression is this, it's fear. It's fear. In 1 Kings 19.3, 
we are told that Elijah was fearful. He was afraid and he ran for his life. Fear is almost always, almost always a factor in depression. We fear what others will think or do. We fear being alone. We fear not accomplishing, not getting the job done. We fear not finishing what we've started. We fear what we cannot control. And this fear is based in feeling. And this fear is a lie straight from the hub of hell because God is in control. Because God is in control. But I know from as somebody who has struggled with depression, it's a lot easier to say that. It's a lot easier to say that than to truly feel that way and to truly live that way. But understand that fear is a factor in depression. And fear is something that we all experience at points in our life. Fear itself does not equate depression, but oh, it's typically there. A second factor which is often present in depression is failure. Failure. In 1 Kings 19.4, after expressing, expressing his wish to die, Elijah gives his reason. He is no better than his father's. He's no better than his father's. You see, depression often comes with amplified feelings of inadequacy. I am useless. I'm incompetent. I'm a failure. I can't do anything right. It would be better for me to not be here. Again, so often, I would be willing to say 100% of the time, based in feeling, and not fact. It's how we feel about ourselves. It's not actually factual about us. And in our faith, our value doesn't come from our feelings. It doesn't come from the opinions of others. It comes from being a creation of the living God. So inherently, this is a lie. But it is a lie that Satan will have you believe about yourself if you will listen. So we're fearful and we feel like a failure. And a third factor is fatigue. Fatigue. We just get worn out. I don't know if you've ever struggled with depression yourself. And if you haven't, you're blessed. And I'm legitimately happy for you. But being depressed is the most tiring thing that I've ever gone through. I've been through two days in football. I've ran till I've thrown up. I've stayed up for 48 hours at a time because of work and school things. I've, I've, I've done some crazy things to my body. Nothing has left me decimated and fatigued like being depressed. Because this fatigue is both emotional and physical. Which in our story leads Elijah to find this juniper tree, this broom tree, and to fall asleep. He can't go any further. He can't think anymore. He just needs some reprieve. And when you're asleep, hopefully, some of you it doesn't, but hopefully your mind stops and you can just get away. 
It is important, so important, guys, that we find rest in our life. There's a reason that God demanded that we had a Sabbath. There's a reason that it's one of his commandments because we are not supposed to go, 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 go 100% of the time. We must find rest. We must find rest. So many of us are burning the candle at both ends. Some of us are checking, chucking our entire candle in the fire. And we wonder why we have these feelings of feeling like I just can't go on. I just don't want to do this anymore. I just need help. I just, something's got to change. I'm useless. You're exhausted. You're exhausted. And you must find rest. Depression is almost always linked to the fatigue in our physical and emotional state. We are just exhausted and we haven't been taking care of ourselves. And it's in this exhaustion that the lies of the evil one are the most believable. Because we just don't have any energy to fight. We just don't have any energy to fight. The fourth factor, and certainly not the last factor, it's not like it's just these four things, but again, I find these four things being present, and I can just say, at least for me, they were the four things that were present. And the last one is futility. Futility. Yes, we went with alliteration. Fear, failure, fatigue, and futility. Okay? We're going to call them the four Fs. In Elijah 19, verse 10, Elijah states, I have been very jealous for the Lord the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Satan will lead you to believe that you're the only one. You're the only one. You're the only one with an addiction to porn. You're the only one with an addiction to painkillers. You're the only one whose marriage is struggling. You're the only one who's having issues at work. You're the only one. Everyone else, everything's working out for everyone else, but you're the only one. It's just you. It's just you. You're the only one having to fight this battle. And Satan wants you isolated. Because if he can isolate you, he can kill you. And I believe that. If he can isolate you, he can kill you. You see, Elijah was alone. He was isolated. He was hopeless. He was the last of the last, and they wanted to take his life too. He had no one to share in his burden. Depression leads us to believe that not only should we feel this way, but that we deserve to feel this way. And that is a lie. I'm going to take you back to week two, my first week in the series. You are not your feelings. You are not who someone else says you are. You are not even who you think you are. You are who God says you are. And God says you are loved. And God says you are worthy. And God says, I sent my son down to die on a cross for you. That is truth. 
That is truth. So don't allow yourselves to sit here today and listen to the lies that Satan would have you believe because that's exactly what they are. They're lies. They're lies. If you are dealing with depression, the one thing that you cannot do is believe the lies that it and that Satan will lead you to believe. You cannot do that. Here's what I need you to know. You are not a failure. You are not a failure. And I don't care if you need to go into your bathroom today when you get home and tell yourself that a hundred times in the mirror until it starts to sound like it could possibly be true. But you are not a failure. Life may not be what you thought it was going to be. Everything may not have gone as smoothly as you thought it would. Some of your wishes and your dreams may not have come true. But you are not a failure. If you follow God's will for your life and if you are trying to do what God wants you to do and go where God is calling you to go, then you could never, ever, ever be a failure. Never. You're not a failure. You are not alone. That is the beauty of church. That is why we have environments for you to come to on Sunday before church and here corporately as we worship and Wednesday nights and we do the different events all throughout the month so that we can live life together and you can physically experience the fact that you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. Get out from under that tree and come be with us. Get out from under that tree and come be with us. Fake it until you make it. Do it. Force yourself. Scratch, fight, climb out of the hole. Get out of that bed. Come live life with others because then you will truly see that you are not alone. Not only do you have love, not only do you have support, not only are you valued, not only do people want you around, but people are struggling just like you. It's part of the human condition. And here's something I need you to understand also. Something that meant the most to me when I finally figured it out but I still struggle with it to this day. You are not letting anyone down. You are not letting anyone down because that's the thing we tell ourselves that really leads to our destruction. I'm just letting everybody down. And we could never view ourselves the way that they view us with the love and the compassion and the want to be around us because we are just so convinced that we are letting everyone down and that they deserve better and that if they somehow had someone else in their life, things would just be better for them. Again, a lie. You're not letting anyone down. Here's what I also want you to know. If you are struggling with depression... One, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to struggle. But two, you don't have to stay in that place. You don't have to stay in that place. There are things that you can do and things that you should do to fight. You are worth fighting for. You are worth you fighting for yourself. Get away. Take a vacation. Go on a day trip. Go do something you haven't done before. Try something new. 
Surround yourselves with people you love. Take a break from your life. You're not letting anyone down. It's okay. The laundry can wait. The floors can be dirty. The job will find another you if you quit. They will. Let it all go. Let your house turn into a just nasty mosh pit of garbage. You set it on fire and try to get insurance money. I don't know. That's not great advice on dealing with depression. But this is get away. Take a break. Take a break. Do it. Find ways to rest. Rest, Sabbath, doesn't mean that you have to just like lay on a couch and sit there staring at your ceiling, right? It doesn't mean that. What it means is go do something that breathes life back into you. Find something that gives you energy and that helps you to feel purpose. Rest. Be recuperated. Share your feelings. Share your feelings. Stop battling alone. You weren't meant to battle alone. You're not supposed to be alone. Talk to your husband. Talk to your wife. Talk to somebody, families, friends. And this is an and, not an or. If you're dealing with depression, talk to your friends, talk to your families, and a counselor. Spend the money on yourself. You're worth it. I know it's an extra. Do it anyways. Go talk to somebody who's a professional, somebody who's unbiased, somebody who, frankly, doesn't think about you on a daily basis. Not because they don't care, but because they are a professional who is dealing with the hurts of people all the time. And so when you approach them and you lay everything out before them, they can be honest with you, and they will be. They're paid to be. Go see a counselor. It's good for you. It's the best thing I ever did. It was embarrassing the first time. What if somebody sees me walking into this office? What are they going to think? First of all, who cares? But the thought's still there, right? What if this person I talk to just doesn't get it? What if they don't understand? Well, guess what? They're not the only counselor. Go talk to somebody else until you find one you mesh with. But get some help. Get some help. You're worth it. You deserve it. Do it. Eat right. Not a strength of mine, but do it. Eat right. Change your diet. Throw away the ho-hos. Eat some grilled chicken. You won't die. Lettuce leaves taste like dirt. I don't know how they can be much better than dirt, but I'm told they're good for you on occasion. Eat some of those. Take some vegetables. Do some fruits. Exercise. Go on a walk. Go on a walk. Sit out in the sun, sweat. Set a timer. Go sit in your garage. Sweat out some of those impurities. I'm telling you, you'll walk out of there feeling like a brand new person and a lot more squingy. But don't just sit there. Here's an idea. Get some sleep. But important, sleep at night. Sleep at night. Force yourself to get up during the day when the sun's out. Go enjoy it. Just stare at it. Don't, well, that's bad advice too. That will hurt your eyes. Don't stare directly at the sun. Stare at a bright spot, ground level somewhere. Get in the sun. Vitamin D, it's a great thing. It's real. It'll change your life. They have these little lights you can get on Amazon that mimics the sun. You can sit inside if you're an inside person in the air conditioning. It'll brighten your life. I'd buy one of those. Why? The sun makes me sweat. I don't like sweat. I'm sweating right now. It's gross. Take the steps. Do the things. 
Make an effort. Sleep at night. Get your eight to 10 hours at night. Wake up during the day and force yourself to go do things. Take a shower. Wash your hair. Give yourself a break. Get perspective. Get perspective. Serve others. Serve others. It's one of the best things you can do. Because what happens in depression is that you isolate yourself and then all you think about is what you're going through. And your worldview and your world is this big. And all you're focusing on is every little thing that's gone wrong with you. So get out and go serve someone. Mow your neighbor's yard. Rake some leaves. Go to the community kitchen. Serve. Find ways in the community to help out. They're all over the place. Serve others. If you are following the will of God in your life, if you are trying your best, I say it again, the lies that you hear, they have no merit. Here's some of the best piece of advice that I can give you. Take some medication. Take some medication. See, because science is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. And you can be full of faith and take a pill. And the reason I bring that up is because there is a section of the global church that will tell you, you should just be able to pray it away. If you had enough faith, this wouldn't be happening to you. You should just be able to pray it away. And that is also a lie from the hub of hell. God has invented brilliant minds who have come up with solutions for when your brain chemistry is out of whack, which is what leads also to depression. So don't be afraid to tell your doctor, Doc, I am not myself. I am not myself. I think I'm depressed. I'm feeling all these ways. And figure out a regimen. Figure out a regimen. Find something that's going to help you. I was on medication for 10 years. There's a stigma around it. People are going to think I'm crazy. Maybe I am crazy. I can already tell you all before that I am crazy. That's a separate statement. I got that. I'm clear with that. I'm okay with that. But, you know, we're always worried about what things are going to look like instead of worrying about what we need to do to take care of ourselves. Medication isn't evil. Science isn't evil. It's a gift from God. If your brain chemistry is out of whack, you may need the support that medicine can offer. So come to church and pray and worship and have others pray for you and do all the things we talked about. Eat a healthy diet, get your 10 hours of sleep, exercise, talk to a counselor, talk to friends. Don't circle yourself in this little cocoon of misery. Don't do that. And also, yes, take some medication. Praise, worship, serve others, be with others. Last but not least, understand this. Isolation is desolation. And desolation leads to destruction. But the good news is, you are not alone. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now in this moment today, Lord, and I thank you first and foremost that we are not alone. I know in the darkest of nights, God, I felt like I was a failure. Like 
everyone in my life was ashamed of me and that I didn't deserve to live and that they would all be better if I wasn't around. And God, I'm blessed that I didn't take it as far as I could have. And yet, God, we know that there's pain in this world and that there are others that were not as blessed as me, others that lost their fight. I know for a fact that there are people in this room today that are dealing with depression. It's actually more common than uncommon. Gone are the days where we are just supposed to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and toughen up as men. Gone are the days where we as women have to pretend that everything is perfect in silence. Lord, there is strength in being vulnerable. There is strength in sharing one another's burdens. And and God, I just want to lift everybody up here in this room today. And God, I pray that if they're struggling, that they'll take some of the advice that I gave them today. That they will see the story of Elijah and realize that It is not in any way, shape, or form a judgment of their relationship with God that they're struggling. That they can be doing all of the right things. That they can be living the life that God has intended for them to live and yet, God, they can still be overcome. Help us to lean on one another and love one another and not be judgmental of one another. Help us to fight. Give us the strength to just push forward, to take it day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute if need be. We are not alone. We are never alone because God, you are always with us. You do not forsake us. And we are worthy because you have deemed it so. As we stand and we worship and we praise, God, move feet if they need to be moved. Help people to reach out for support. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to worship. You need to talk to me about salvation. I tell you this all the time. There's no better decision that you can make than to follow Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And I'd love to talk to you about that today. If you want to come pray with me, please come pray with me. Use our stage as an altar. Uh, pray, okay? Come come pray with us. That We, we want to, to pray with you. Uh, Joy, could I have you stand back? Joy's going to stand back over there to the left by the bar and Uh, she's going to be there to pray with you. And who knows, you may come up and she may ask you to pray for her. And I'm sure you can do that for her. Shane, would you mind standing up over on this side? Shane Coker is going to be over here to pray with any of you that need to pray. I'm here. Listen, you're not alone. You're not a failure. You're not letting anyone down. You're worth it. You're so worth it. Know that. Stand up. Let's worship.